We find ourselves at the Westwood One Studios in the heart of Times Square. It's time once again for the OB Radio Podcast. Ooh, I'm tired because I stayed up way too late for the Super Bowl, Robert. Way too late. The game was over by 10-something. Yeah, but when you see the game in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, then you got to drive home, and then you got to get up at around 7 a.m. to get your kids to school, you would be tired too, you son of a bitch! <laughs> All right, fine. And I'm freaking panicking because I, I had never knew that, that, that there was corn syrup in beer! I didn't either, and yet I still like Miller Lite when it's time. You know, when you want a marathon, it's a good marathon beer. Yeah. Miller Lite was sitting there uh, going, what are you doing, Bud Light? You know how many people are going to start drinking our beer now? Because no one gives a shit that there's corn syrup in their beer, right? No, nobody cares especially, about it. Especially during a Super Bowl, you're you're eating like shit, right? You, you got the pizza, you got the wings, you got the buffalo dip, even though you got the wings. In our case, we had uh, a cheese platter, we had cookies, we had lemon cake, we had ice cream, we had chili, we had uh, roast beef sandwiches, and and we're all going to sit there and worry that we might have corn syrup in our beer? (laughs) What idiots! Right? And also... Stupid Super Bowl people. I call them Super Bowl people because I don't know, I don't know who's in charge of this. But, but do we really need advertisements for avocados? You either like avocado or you don't. No one's on the fence with avocado. You either like it and know how to get it, or you don't, and you're going to avoid it. I think the whole Super Bowl was was sponsored by avocado, right? Or, or they did a segment or something like that. Yeah, but I only saw one spot. Uh, no, and then it was like, uh, you know, was, oh my God, a legend's walking into the room. Are you oh kidding me? You know, <laughs> Maury Povich is just who's, walking who's in. Been, who's been in the media business longer, you or me? <laughs> What's up, Maury? Good, yeah, good to see you. How are you? I'm Robert. Hi, Robert. Uh, we're just talking about the Super Bowl because uh, really? I'm, I'm, I'm faking energy right now, Maury, because I, I went down to Philly for the Super Bowl because that's where my, uh, my wife's from. And then she's I from drew, Philly? Yeah, she's from Philly. I know you did a little time down I there. I sure did. Three years, Channel 3. Channel 3. and uh, Oh, really? Yeah. No kidding. That's, that's oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was good. Yeah. Did you like the Super Bowl last night? Well, here, here's my problem. Uh, Corn syrup a, in your beer? A, I'm a Redskin fan because that's where I'm from. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm not a big fan of Belichick's. Why? Because he's too good. <laughs> a little jealousy and then, there? And then Brady, I mean, it's the perfect family, you yeah. know? And I don't deal with people like that. Or <laughs> <laughs> he's the best. <laughs> See, I, I did three years in Boston, so I got a soft spot for the right. Patriots. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like my son, yeah. who is the uh, overachieving uh, private school Manhattan... Uh, highly overprivileged kid who is a commercial tuna fisherman <laughs> on, on Cape I, Cod. I think that's. And a, I want to tell you something. I, yeah. Every commercial tuna fisherman from Cape Cod is yeah. a Pats fan. <laughs> <laughs> You're a mess, Marty. I think it's. I mean, he's out fishing right now, and and uh, because you know, yeah. 
He's not that poor, so he has direct TV. Right. And all he was doing was texting me, go Pats last night. Oh, so over and over again. Yeah. So what? And he's th- in the Gulf Stream. Let me ask you something, Maury, because you, d- you didn't have a, a normal life yourself. You went into broadcasting, which right. is certainly not normal. What would you What would you want your uh, son doing instead of being a commercial tuna uh, fisherman? Fish- yeah. yeah. That sounds like a great job. It's a great job, but it's a money pit. <laughs> oh, so Dad's got to pay the bill. Oh no, no. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, he has his own boat. He has his own crew. But yeah. I mean, he's you know those people are uh, they're unto their own. I mean, you talk blue collar. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is deep green sea collar. Yeah, uh, it's really. It's, it's a gr- tough job. It's a tough job, but it sounds like a great job. I, I you know, the Wicked Tuna guys. Yeah, well, one I, of them, one of the mates on the Wicked Tuna is one of his mates. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, so, so, so they we- asked him to be on Wicked Tuna, and I said, "There ain't no way. There's only one Povich on TV." <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've been invited on the Wicked Tuna boat. Oh, so you maybe, have. So maybe it, it would Up be from with, Gloucester. Yeah, so maybe it would it would be with your son indirectly. Well, well indirectly it could be with his mate. Right. Well, then I said no, and then I think. I think Were you going to go out for the whole show or just for the day? Just uh, they weren't taping. It's oh, a, some of the Wicked Tuna guys are fans of mine from way back. Really? And they invited me to go out and, and catch some That's tuna. That's another hearty crew, you know. Those, yeah. Those Wicked Tuna guys. Yeah. So, but They're all out of Gloucester. They're out of Gloucester. Gloucester. Gloucester, right. <laughs> and then um, I think the boat I was supposed to go on blew yeah. up or something. Really? Yeah. Or had major engine problems. And so I'm like, you know Sometimes what? Sometimes I think, you know, for dramatic effect, they do that purposely. <laughs> <laughs> Because they're bored, probably. <laughs> I think it's great that your son oh, God. is a privileged kid from Manhattan. And now he's a commercial yeah, private school great. elite. I mean, well, you know, went my, to college for three years and said, this isn't for me. Well, my kids are in, in private school, too. I, I, don't, I don't want them to have traditional jobs. Well, all my friends say, isn't it great that he ha- that he's into something he has passion for? So yeah. many kids these days <laughs> right. don't have any passion for anything. All they are into is making money on Wall Street. Right. I said, yeah, what's wrong with you love your son, right? I you guys get son. along? I love There's my no son. issues, yeah. are there? Okay. No, no. Well, there are plenty of issues. That's why I hate Tom Brady and his family. <laughs> <laughs> you got to respect that. They, I mean, they went to nine the Super Bowls. They won six. Family. Yeah. I mean, you're sitting up there in the box. All yeah. the kids are perfectly dressed. Right. She's got hair that, you know, never ends. Yeah. I mean, it's. Yeah. I know. You're right. <laughs> I mean, I should. Are hate we it. all that way? I mean, are there no warts on the Brady family? <laughs> They are a perfect family. The guy's 41. He looks 28. I know. I keep looking for gray hair. There aren't any. And he's not losing any hair. No. He doesn't even have the sags under his eyes yet. Nothing. Nothing. No no, no crow. Nothing. And and then everybody's going to probably be doing that workout and and nutrition routine he has. Well, he eats perfectly. He doesn't enjoy it. TB12 or something. Yeah. That's what they call it. You know what his uh, one dessert is? What his one guilty pleasure is? What? I'm going to teach you something today, Maury Povich. <laughs> he eats avocado ice cream. Hey, yuck. I, I, That's when he's treating himself. Could you imagine what he's usually I, eating? I can't even eat 
avocado and chips. I, mean, <laughs> I hate avocado. It's so I, overrated. Terrible. Yeah. yeah you. you know, every time they, what is it? What? Oh, yeah, the Cobb salad. I always say, leave the avocado off. <laughs> Good for you, Maury. And that's why you're 80. That's why, Maury, you're looking at an 80-year-old man. He looks amazing. Oh, no. That's insane. What do you What do you do to keep healthy? Because you, 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 you look great. I go to bed with Connie Chung. That's it, kid. There you go. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> and you've known Connie since... Uh, uh, I think 1969. I'm going to a long say, time. Yeah, right. Uh, maybe yeah, 70, 69, 70, something like that. And she's she is a legend. She's the best. I grew up uh, watching Connie. I, Chong. I wanna, mm-hmm. The best thing about her is uh, she doesn't take shit off of anybody, In, including you. No, I'm uh. I, I'm the first. She. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm 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 right up there, top five. I mean, I'm above Dan Rather. What's that like? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you talk about somebody who got mad. She got mad at me this morning. For what reason? Well, she says, she says, uh, she said to me, uh, I didn't sleep well last night. I said, so that's my fault, right? Just because I went to sleep right after that, the last moment of the Super Bowl. Yeah. And you stay up till one o'clock reading printed newspapers that's not my fault (laughs) why why is she still reading printed newspaper Uh, because that's connie first of all that's why she's not in the news business and she's glad she's not in the news business because it would be a disaster because you know too many outlets now have agendas and she just can't stand oh my god thank you for saying that is that what turned her off from the business and and made her go in a different direction yeah yeah, i'd I'd rather raise the fishermen right i i I just don't understand whatever news program you listen to you don't even really hear from the other side i I want to hear from both sides i don't want to flip back and forth to these uh these uh news stations right i'm an over overall view of what's going on out there yeah i I'm. So, it's so bad now. I, I'm looking up where the BBC is. <laughs> <laughs> right. I listen to like NPR. Yeah. Real just that's okay. boring stuff now. Yeah, but that you know that always puts you to sleep. Right. Well, but was there was always an agenda, but it's just a lot different nowadays. When you the, started, was there? No. When when we really, we really tried to gather news and put it on the air without. A rooting for someone right. without supporting anything. Right. Just, you know, gather the information, tell the story. Right. That's the way it was. Yeah. And and uh, I I anchored a lot of newscasts around the country for a long time. And I, you know, I, I hate to say that the news business I think changed. Unfortunately, when I did this little show called A Current Affair. Yes. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> and that kind of turned it around. I mean, it became such a big hit. Right. In the late 80s and early 90s. Yeah. That all of a sudden, all the news departments could not ignore the stories we no. were covering. Gonzo television, tabloid television. This show is rampant anarchy. When you peel away the layers of the story, when it comes down to its one-on-one, it comes down to the heartbeat of the story, that, that's when it gets real good. Guts TV. A Current Affair, weekdays at 5. Everyone knows you from Maury, obviously, but I know you more from A Current Affair. Yeah. I mean, I loved... I loved that's uh, when you... 
when you were coming up, right? In I the late in, 80s, early 90s, somewhere I, I in was there? In, uh, I was in uh, college when our current affair, yeah, because you're saying late 80s. And I thought that stuff was amazing because it was so different than anything and we else. Were do- no, one, no one would touch those stories. No. They were in the trash basket in news departments. It was it was the weekly world news at the right. supermarket right? and, and, and National Enquirer right. and all that stuff. But a lot of that stuff in those papers were oh, real God. stories. And we started with like Jim and Tammy Faye Baker and we started with uh, – the uh, the preppy murder in New York, yes. and we started. Uh, uh, I mean, and, and then and then uh, they're they're celebrating the anniversary. Lorena Bobbitt, mm-hmm. right? And 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 then uh, OJ right after right. that. I mean, I consider it as the golden age of tabloid. <laughs> well, don't forget it was the Butterfucos too, and Joey Butterfuco. It was one Amy after Fisher. another. Don't I forget uh, Jessica Hahn was in right, there. Right, exactly. As and well. so and so, and then coupled with all of that. Trump is on the tabloid covers every single day in New York because he's ditching Ivana for Marla Maples and all of that was was taking off. And then the two big tabloid columnists, uh, Cindy Adams and Liz Smith, were going against each other because Ivana was confiding in one, and Donald was confiding in yes. the other. <laughs> oh, this it was a great time to be alive in New York if you're into this tabloid stuff. Oh yeah, and and Maury was, uh, you know, uh, you were ahead of your time because then then all the other news outlets realized what kind of ratings you were and getting, they, and, and they and they they had to start to, sure know, taking a taste and and doing a little of this I, on their hard I, I online can rem- news programs. I can remember Ted Koppel on Nightline. Did Jim and Tammy Faye Baker and Jessica Hahn for 30 straight nights. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. But it, you, you took that sort of modern era Walter Winchell. Right. And but, Ma- but made it, it was, mainstream. It was an important story to we tell. We made it mainstream. All of, those, all of those followers of Jim Baker were getting fleeced. They were right. giving all that money, believing in something that was a complete and total then there, lie. And then there were the murders, the, what, the Menendez's murders? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Out there in L.A.? Yeah, I mean, that was all part of it. I mean, it was never-ending. Right. But how did it feel to go from, uh, um, how do I say it, regular news to a current affair? That must have been exciting for you as a a broadcaster. Well, I had always, in the news business, I had always been frustrated because, let's say, if you're anchoring a show, all you did was read a 20-second introduction to a minute and 25-second piece by a reporter the reporter is frustrated because he only has a minute 25 seconds the anchors uh, frustrated because there's not more to the story and so I got very frustrated with uh, that kind of storytelling and that kind of reporting yeah in a half hour newscast right. so when I got to a current affair I mean the stories were wild and crazy, but at least we had time. Right. At least we had, you know, 12, 15 minutes yeah. to tell a story. Well, maybe 10 minutes. We had we had three stories in, in a half an hour. I'll tell you, it was so big. We had uh, the executive producer of 60 Minutes, Don Hewitt. His daughter worked on A Current Affair. Wow. And Don Hewitt was fascinated by a current affair, right? Because a of the stories that were, and the and and the ratings. Yeah. Everybody, everybody's interested in ratings, so he would just bombard his daughter with all these questions <laughs> about the stories we were doing, and because guess what? Yeah. They could dress up stories like that and put them on sixty minutes, sure. which they ended up doing. Yeah. I- 
and, and and they were all real stories too, which was, oh no, this was, I mean, was, was important. They were just more tabloid. I mean, it's like time. people ask me about my show today. Where do these people come from? Are you kidding me? <laughs> this is part of Americana. I mean, I, I mean, this is part of the fabric. That's what. That's where I can relate to you because I've gotten that same question over the years. I'm like about you, yeah. Well, your show. Well, and, and when I was people. more of a shock jock, and we right. would come up with this crazy stuff to entertain the people while they're bored in their cars. You know, I would go, oh, you're exploiting people, you're doing this, you're doing that. I'm like, you have no idea. They're lining up outside the door to be part of this exactly. because they know that they can make a name for themselves and get a little fame. And, sure. And uh, they, uh, we never had to, you know, twist anyone's arm. They, they came willingly. And with my subject matter, I mean, with, with the DNA tests and the lie detectors, I mean, people are trying to unburden themselves Basically, uh, there are guys there that say, you know, this woman is accusing me of being a father of their kid, and I know I'm not. Yeah. I mean, there's a well, push I, and pull there for, to all these stories. Yeah, let's talk about that. So wh- how did a, a current affair uh, end, by the way? And it, it should be noted that it was on Fox before it became an all-news station. I want to tell you something. A current affair basically bankrolled the entire Fox network. So we have you to blame. Yes. <laughs> well, no, we, we have we, Nixon to blame. We, 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 we could blame Maury for a lot of things today. Oh, yeah. If Nixon You're, hadn't fact, hired Rod, yeah. In fact, you know, Roger Ailes was a big part of my life, and I'll tell you how. Because yeah. when I left The Current Affair to start doing talk shows, I worked for Paramount. And Paramount uh, thought that I would be a good talk show host. That's what I thought. And in 1991, what was really happening was a current affair got so big, it was now beating the number one 7730 show in the country, which was Entertainment Tonight. Wow. And that was a Paramount show. Wow. So Paramount basically hired me to get me off the air from a current affair because to them, the way to get the ratings back was to get me off the show. I didn't know that. I didn't know that until the second year of my talk show. <laughs> I thought that they had this great idea of me doing talk. Oh, they're sneaky, aren't they, Maury? They are sneaky on the on, on, on the ways they do things. But so you moved into a more a different show than what is today. Exactly. Maury was uh, more and dare I say like a Phil Donahue. Exactly. Yeah. So what happened was and it's called the Maury. Povich show back. Correct. From 91 to 98. So then what happened was, you know, A Current Affair was a big hit, but there was a lot of pushback from people who watched the show. But, you know, I I don't watch that show. Oh, yeah, I do watch that show. (laughs) And so I had a big recognition factor in these Q ratings. Yeah. But a lot of it was negative. So Paramount hired a fellow named Roger Ailes. To, who was now a uh, media result, research consulting guy, right. to work with me and introduce me to a talk show audience rather than this really hard-edged tabloid news yeah. show audience. And Roger gave me the best piece of advice. He says, you know, I talk to a lot of anchors around the country and they don't get it, and I know you will get it because of where you come from. You've got to go to people's houses you got to knock on the door. This is an election. This is a campaign. You have to be welcomed inside the home. You have to be welcomed to sit at their dining room table or on their sofa. And, that, and that's how you get to have the comfort zone that you need to be accepted by these people. Wow. Wow. And so we did a commercial. We did a promotion to 
to launch the show in which I basically said to everybody, look, I have my vulnerabilities, I have my warts, I've been fired, I've been divorced, uh, I, I take care of these children, I help to take care of these children, They're, they live with their mother, they don't live with me, so I was, you know, unraveling my all of my problems right. in life so that I could be as human as my audience. That's really smart. And that's how it started, and that's how smart Roger Ailes was right. to be able to read a certain viewer. Yeah. And, of course, you know how he read the viewer's Yes. Five years later, when he started Fox, right. yeah, show your audience you're just like them. You got you got your own issues and problems, and uh, I, no. I've always believed that that the, the best kind of talk show host was one who was an advocate advocate for the audience. Right, absolutely. Uh, but why would you go into that field back then? Because I mean, wasn't it? It was crowded. It was Oprah. It was Sally Jesse Raphael. It was Phil Donahue. It, Geraldo. Geraldo was still doing it. Morton Downey. Sarah, right. Sally Jesse was oh, there. Right. I mean, it was a big field. In right. fact, Geraldo, I mean, he was riding high then. This yeah. is 91. And I said to him, I said, he said to me, because I had known him for years, he says, I want to tell you something. you got to be in shape. I said, what are you talking about? He says, you got to be in physical shape. This is a draining thing to do this every day. Yeah. And so, I mean, he was right. Right. You, you've got to, you got to be up for this. You, when you talk about a talk show, you cannot mail it in. Because right. your audience will know. Because your course. audience, when it comes to talk shows, they are very close to the host. Right. They know what's happening. You can't fool them. Right. So I, you, I I agree with you. Don't 100%. you think? You got. I'm I was, sure. This, I was mentally exhausted every day. Like, I would think. Uh, my wife finally got it because obviously people work way harder than than we do. Physical labor sure. and, and commuting like like animals and stuff. But I would come home after doing those shows, uh, the Opie and Anthony show mentally just drained didn't want to talk to anyone just exactly. wanted to be by myself and then the then the fact that we had a great show and then we only had an hour or two to enjoy that before like oh my god what are we doing tomorrow what are we right. doing tomorrow exactly and it, it just it, it took its toll on me over the years I, I, I didn't have as much fun as people thought yeah i mean it, it's fun when you get a good number yeah of course <laughs> and then the money's rolling and in, the money's coming in and yeah. then you really and, and that and that eases it yeah but people thought we had the easiest jobs in america like you have no. no idea what goes into yeah, trying friends, to entertain I, I have friends of mine who say that to me oh you <laughs> yeah. Know, oh, yeah right you only you know you only work 70 or 80 days a year <laughs> well, i said what well, you, well, you want to double that in terms of the people uh, the, the days i have to look over the the guests and the stories and everything else and get yeah. prepared every day. And <laughs> right. I, I got 10 different guests and I got to know names. And some well, of those the, names are very difficult. Yeah. It's the, it's the preparation part. It's the preparation and the execution that really does the, the exhausting. I mean, when I was doing music radio, I'd get the same thing. Well, all you do is play music all day. Yeah. No, somebody else has no. programmed that. I've got to find all of the connective tissue between Absolutely. that. Yeah. And the, the, the hardest, the real tough thing is when... Um, when the map gets taken away, like, you know, go back uh, to 9-11 or something, when everybody went commercial free and the playlist was thrown out the window and you're just responding to listeners and trying to – that was no commercials, so there's no break time, there's no reset right. time, yeah. and you're just trying to find and taking calls from, you know, crying firemen and things like that. Well, that was one of the most exhausting eight hours so, ever. So what we're trying to tell the people listening to this podcast is, see, <laughs> we have tough lives. I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I podcast now whenever I want, and I, I forgot how much fun this could be. 
Like I'll I'll do a po- I'm doing it with you today. I'm right. enjoying the hell out of this already, and then I will probably tap out for a week and do nothing and just right. hang out and and raise my kids and go through life. And then then I'm like I'll have another uh, uh, burst of energy and and an idea who I want to talk to. And then I'm like let's do it again. And you it's know, just it's just so freeing and I, fun. Uh, uh, I have a friend, Tony Kornheiser, you sure, know, on ESPN. Of right? course. So Tony uh, was doing a, he was getting paid pretty good money to do a local radio show in Washington. Yeah. Besides PTI. And uh, he said, I don't want to do this anymore. I said, what do you mean? He says, I want to do my own podcast. Yeah. He says, I just want to be able to show up, do my podcast three, four days a week. Yeah. Do it from a restaurant. Yeah. Uh, do That's about an do. hour and 15 minutes a day. And uh, do it three or four days a week and then go uh, weekends and play golf or something like that. And I said, and so you're giving up you're giving up a radio show and a lot of money. He says, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And that's what he's doing. I got it. I got and it. And that's what he's doing. I understand. I was, I was bummed because out. Because I guess you have more fun doing this yeah. because you don't have to worry about, oh, nobody. there are suits up there. Nobody. They leave me alone. As long as I deliver a couple shows a week, they're right. good. It's. It, I love this. Love. Uh, wait, I love. How this. long have you been doing this? Uh, almost a year. We're yeah, up to coming nine, up nine, nine, ten months. So I took. Uh, I had to take a little time off there, Maury. Really? They, they kicked me out the door at, at Sirius XM, and I needed a year to. They actually kicked you out. I made them a billion dollars, Maury. <laughs> but they don't care, right? When they're done with you, they're done with you. I Is was that... making. I was making too much money, and. Uh, oh, one of those deals. And I uh, yes. That's absolutely what the deal was. And then they uh, they weren't going to renew my contract, and I started becoming more of a bad boy. And then uh, and then they fired me, but they but they ended up paying every penny they owed me in the end. How how long uh, how long did they have to pay you for? Um, I, I only unfortunately I only had six months left on my contract. So, <laughs> but they didn't want to pay me that six months. And then you know it, it took a while, but I got every penny from them. So when I was doing a current affair, and then I was going to switch to the talk show, and yeah. it was like announced. And Fox was negotiating with me, too. And at the last minute, boy, Barry Diller and Rupert were really, really pissed. <laughs> boy, were they pissed. Because they, Barry was running Fox. Oh, boy. They, they, they dressed me down worse than my father. It was, imagine. it was terrible. So what they did was I had like 10 months left. Yeah. And they took me off the air, and I just sat in an office. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's and, a, that, and picked up the paycheck. Yeah, I had one of those. I had a, I had a two-year stint. Oh, really? Yeah, when me and Anthony got fired for the Sex for Sam back in 2002, they knew they couldn't fire us because we were going to go across the street and compete against Howard Stern. And back right. then, we had a lot of juice, and we were definitely going to hurt him. And they right. knew that. So they, uh, they, they didn't fire us. They put us on the beach, as they call it or whatever. Yeah. And, and we sat around for two years getting stupid paychecks to do nothing. <laughs> and, and I would try to explain my pain to people. They just didn't get that one. Because my pain was this. I'm like, yeah, I'm making a lot of money. But I could be making a lot of money right now and, co- and continue doing the radio show and now hurt the people that, that right. uh, just tried to destroy our, our, our uh, show. So in the podcast, you have... I assume commercials, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's a company that sells those commercials. Yeah, Westwood One is helping us with that. Oh, I yeah, see. Yeah. So Westwood One, besides, they're still doing all their syndicated shows, right? Yeah, correct. On air. Yeah. Plus, they're now in the podcast business. Yes. We are the fastest growing organic, I'm sorry, the fastest growing commercial podcast network in the country. Ooh. <laughs> I hope I got the line right. Tim, did I get the line right? <laughs> yeah. 
So, so getting back to the Maury Povich show, what do you remember about that? What were some of the, the best moments before well, you rebooted yeah, and, before, and became what you are today? Became, right. I mean, I'll never forget. First of all, I mean, we would do things like way, way back. I mean, we went to Nashville for a week. <laughs> <laughs> me the dna guy the lie detector guy right. no this was before that this though, is like it? 1992 yeah. i mean we never heard of dna and lie detectors back then right i went to waco texas for the branch davidians the david koresh right that scandal and, yeah. that, and that tabloid story and that tragedy and so we would we did lorena bobbitt we did we i i just saw this lorena bobbitt two-hour documentary on ABC and they showed the fact that I had the surgeon the oh, wow <laughs> who reattached yeah <laughs> and now now this is like 19 so it must be 1993 or something and I'm going on the air live and saying well I, I have to ask my attorneys can I say the word penis and they said, okay, it's kind of a leaner, but I guess you can. <laughs> <laughs> so that was on the air. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he said it worked. And I said, I don't believe you. And then that started uh, John Wayne Bobbitt's uh, porn career. Porn career. And then they pulled a little out, you know, that surgery, right? You got a little extra in, like like a cord, oh, is that right? Like a vacuum cleaner cord. You could pull a little out if you if you like cut a ligament. So they extended it for him. Wow. <laughs> See, I bet you didn't know that. I didn't Maury. Know that. That's yeah. one of the best stories ever, though, because not only did she cut it off, she then threw it out a window. Next and they to found a 7-Eleven in a <laughs> right. field yeah. in the middle of the night. <laughs> yes. And they were able to find it. And then that guy ended up having sex with that same penis a, a mere few years later. <laughs> Is that the most amazing story you'll ever hear? I think. I, I, all I said was, I, I, they said, you know, what was your reaction? My, my reaction was what the reaction was that every male in the country had. Yeah. First thing we did was grab our crotch. Oh, my yep. God, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so so whose idea was the paternity test, so the lie detector when, test? When I, and what year was that about? Now, that, now, I started. So then what happened was, so I worked for Paramount for seven years. Then this company called DreamWorks, do you remember? Of course. Yeah. So uh, Katzenberg and Spielberg and Geffen started this company. And they wanted to get in the television business, and they wanted to have a 7, 7.30 show, and they wanted to have a little newsy show. So they wanted to hire me and Connie to do this show. And so uh, I left Paramount. My contract was up. I left Paramount, and we were going to do this show, but they couldn't sell it because all the stations had... Uh, Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune and Extra and Access Hollywood and Inside Edition. And so there was no room on any affiliate stations for this show. So I became a free agent. And then NBC Universal hired me to come back and to talk. Paramount was going to make made an offer, but they thought that I was too old. <laughs> <laughs> and that's 21 years ago, that right? That 21 years ago. When you were 59. Yes. <laughs> they thought so, you were too old. So, And then they started to try to replace me right. with Howie Mandel right. and Laura Schlesinger mm -hmm. and all these people. Roseanne, I think, at one time. And so they spent 
tens, if not a hundred million dollars trying to replace me, and then they missed the 21 years of profit they would have made no if they had rehired me because they didn't want to spend the money. And right. NBC Universal, a fellow named Greg Mydell, who was a head of television, and uh, he uh, he hired me, and he you will know about this business, a seven-year contract, four years solid confirmed. Right. So you got a four-year deal yeah, guarantee. guarantee. Yeah. That's a big deal. Of in course. Talk. Yeah. I mean, today, you know, you could be one year and out. Right. One or two tops if yeah. you're lucky. So, but so then you uh, you started over there. So I started over there at NBC Universal, and maybe in the second year, I had a producer named Amy Rosenblum. I mean, Paul Fallhaber is was there too. He's now my executive producer and has been for the last like 19 years. Amy came up with this idea that why don't we do a DNA test? Oh. A lot of people are there was a there was a story in the New York Times way back then that said ten percent of all kids in this country are living with the wrong father. And I went, Whoa, what? <laughs> wow. So that's, then that what numbers high though man. yeah, that's a big number. Right. So then I uh so th- so we started to do that and I'm briefed on the first DNA show and it was the I don't know, just instinct on my part so at the end of the storytelling the, the producer is saying and, and the result is and i said i don't want to know the result what uh, nope i don't want to know anything more than they know the guests my live audience my audience at home if i know more than they do then i'll skew the questions in a certain way yeah. and and it won't be an honest show right so to this day i do not know in the lie detector test and the dna test what the results are That's until awesome. i open up the envelope that is awesome. And, and There's you, still your journalistic integrity right there. there Absolutely. You go. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, why would I want? Why would? Why would I fake it? That's right. a fake. Right. If you know more than they do, you're faking it. Well, like you said, then then you're going to lead the audience inadvertently. No matter try as hard you may, you're still going to ask questions that are going to lead exactly. the, the witness or the you know one well, way so or the other. That's where you get the good stuff is when you're <clears throat> flying by the city or pit. Right. So you're like you don't know which way this is going to go, and and it's more natural, and you know your reaction obviously is going to be natural, and you're going to go in a different direction because of that. What was your favorite paternity test of all time? The craziest was, so this woman is uh, accusing this guy of being the father of her twins, and uh, I go through the whole story, and he's denying it. And I open up the envelope, and he's the father of one, but not the other. <laughs> and I'm going, what? <laughs> and apparently my staff you know, yells out, fraternal twins, you can have two fathers. Because you have separate eggs. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> and we're all trying to do the math on what... Yeah, I understand exactly. like the I, same I, night, multiple nights. Yeah. But I understand fraternal twins and all that. But I thought, oh my god, I'm going to embarrass myself. But I thought when a woman yeah, got we, pregnant, exactly. everything just shut down for a while. Exactly, and you couldn't get pregnant again because right. there's already one in there. Right. But if if you got it, one has to assume that if it was in rapid succession, forty eight hours. Well, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is unbelievable. So that was. That, and it, and so uh, I hear the doctors told me that's like a million to one shot, and yeah. it's happened twice. It's happened twice <laughs> it's in happened your show. Twice. That's amazing. The second time yeah. when I read it, oh, wow, we've done this before. <laughs> <laughs> Cue those charts. <laughs> and now you're just simply known for the paternity test and the DNA and the, and the, lie, and the detector. lie detector test. There's I mean, st- I get all those. 
you know, every time there's a uh, a fight, let's say between rappers. I mean, there yeah. was one between Cardi B. Yes. And I said, uh, I, and one of them says, "Well, well, let's go on the Maury show and we'll find out who started the fight." Yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll take lie detector test. So every time that happens with celebrities, well, you're the we expert. put out, we put out. The, <laughs> the request. Well, it's funny you should say that because there's an article in the paper I think it had yesterday or a couple of days ago. You hear about the orangutan? No, what? There's an orangutan. I, I say, I, I used to say orangutan, orangutan, but uh, they did a DNA test on the baby orangutan, yeah. and they thought it was the the two that were in the in oh, the enclosure. In the right. Turns out that that's not the father of the baby orangutan. Wow. And that now they're realizing it was the other orangutan in the other enclosure right. where they had a fence. Right. So he was able to get his little orangutan penis and they, through and the and fence. And they, they did a DNA test yes! on the Yes, uh, and you're mentioning the, the outsider, article. Of course. <laughs> you're mentioning Every single every time. <laughs> that's the first every, article. Maury Povich News, that's what comes up. <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, making sure I, I it, had it, my it, shit together for you today. And it, so I put uh, Maury it, News, and yeah. that's the first thing that comes up. Uh, uh, like <laughs> Legends, John Legend's wife got pregnant. And uh, announced that she was going to have a baby, and he says, "I'm not too sure. Maybe we should be going on the Maury Povich show to find out." <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> but you know, I—I I, I mean, I like the DNA uh, test shows and the lie detector, but I—I I mention this every time you come in. But your phobia shows were <laughs> lights yeah, out. They were the good. Best. Yeah. You finally had to stop that song. Yeah, I was, you know, first of all, the way we did them was ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, we would, I mean, we had, to this day, one of the most watched episodes on YouTube. Can I guess? What? Because it might be my favorite, Cotton. uh, The Cotton Man. The the Cotton Man. It's one of the greatest TV moments ever. A woman was scared of cotton. In other words, if you the sound of rubbing cotton apparently just it was like chalk on the blackboard. It was just unbelievable. So we bring an intern out on the set covered in cotton. <laughs> <laughs> the woman runs runs all over the place. It was either that or the pickle lady who was scared of pickles. Yeah. People think that my fear of cotton balls is a joke, but it's more real to me than anything else. It's enough to ruin your life. Have you ever used a Q-tip? It's been forever since I have. I can't do it. When was the last time you opened up a bottle of aspirin? It's been years. I have to deal with my own headaches if I have no one around. You just have to deal with it. You won't go in and pull out the cotton from an aspirin tablet. I can't. Do you work? Yes. You don't work in a cotton factory, do you? No. <laughs> I work in a coffee shop. And we well, wait a second. There's, there Aren't there boxes of, of well, peanuts? When we get deliveries in, I have to have somebody else open up the packages for me. Okay. All right. Okay. You know you've got to confront your phobia now. This is the famous Mari Show Cotton Ball Man. Come here. There's nobody up here. There's nobody up here. Okay. You saw the worst part. You saw it all. But Maury's laugh is... That what? was the moment I go, I think I could get along with this guy because <laughs> you enjoyed yourself, Maury. So this lady screaming it, it bloody murder terrible. trying to find family members. Oh, and there's my Cotton God. Bowl, it, 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 <laughs> there's Maury. <laughs> 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 
You're crazy, Mario. I love it. Oh god. You did a lot of the phobia shows, but what happened for real? Did did like some of the people behind the scenes were like, eh, we might have to like move I on think from it was, that. I think it was the ratings. It wasn't, oh, it wasn't. Uh, yeah. No See, kidding. Because the DNA was so dramatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The lie detector tests were so dramatic. Yeah. It's like, you know, I used to do makeover shows. I mean, we don't do those much anymore. I mean, okay, we give somebody a makeover. Yeah. Stuff like that. We had. We do do. Uh, we still do uh, out of control teenagers who are running the streets. Right. The boot camp ones. Boot camp. Those were great too, man. Yeah. So we still do those. Where you get the the drill sergeant screaming at a poor little fourteen year old from Arkansas. Right. Yeah, right. Who wants to have a child because she wants unconditional love? Yeah. <laughs> well, and then Doctor Phil built the whole cottage industry out of doing that after you. Did exactly. That. But, you know, I I I, oh, I don't watch him, but they say he tried to do DNA. Yeah, Do- doesn't work. No, he he's did. not. He, he's not. That's not him. Well, no. because he's everybody to... tries to do the, like the DNA, right? It doesn't work. No, there's a lot of uh, shows took that page from you, but yeah. you do it just in a special way. I don't know. Well, you, you, I'm, I, I've always said this. Look, I have absolutely no experience in my life the way my guests have and the lives they've lived, right. how they lived, their experiences, what they've gone through. I have absolutely no experience in that but somehow there's just a common human instinct where we can connect and so i don't want to i don't want to think too much about why i don't want to psychoanalyze it that's for sure but there's some just connection that my guests feel that when they come around me i give them a safe place because you're not guarded, I could I could easily answer that question for you. You're real. Like, no offense to Doctor Phil, because he has a great career. I don't know who that guy is. Does anyone know who that guy I is? Because he's he's very protected. Like, he's worried about his image and this and that. I mean, you're doing these DNA tests, and you're like a real guy. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you're having fun with it. Absolutely. Other times, you're like ready to cry along. Oh, yeah. along with the, the oh yeah. The people I mean, sometimes, like for instance, uh, with the lie detector test, some sometimes. It, it's 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 very serious, and and this poor woman has devoted herself to this guy, and he's cheating on her, and things like that. And then I have a, a lie detector show where the guy admit uh, it's trying to convince this woman that he's been faithful, and that those four times that he <laughs> stayed out all night, he was kidnapped by four different people, and his, <laughs> he was put into a trunk. <laughs> You talk about a laugh. I mean, I never. I just, I just couldn't get through it. Oh, that's 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 why you're 80 and going strong. You're enjoying the hell out of your life, Maury. Right? Well, of course. Yeah. I mean, Did you ever have a moment on the show where you really were like your heart was broken for somebody? Like, I'll tell you, I I get very emotional of uh, with kids. Right. I get very emotional when. Um, on the bullying shows, yes. When these kids are bullied, I get very uh, that drives me nuts. Especially if they have a physical de- deformity, yeah, or they're uh, challenged yeah. uh, in- intellectually. I mean, it drives me nuts. Yeah, I, we're yeah with the bullying because I got a lot of nephews and nieces. They're kind of in the junior high slash high school right. years, and and they try to tell me there's no more bullying in school, but online bullying is completely out of control. So. Absolutely. I, and they take that as serious as if 
it was face to face. Right. If because if it's online, all their friends see it. Yeah. Yeah, it's way worse because it's online. Right. And when we were growing up, when you got bullied, but if you punched someone in the face, I mean, I'm not advocating this, but right. but you yeah, you weren't bullying as much after right. that. You know, there's there's no uh, there's nothing happens to these people that bully online. Right. And they they don't a lot of them don't even do it with their real names or any of that stuff. Well, and then the pendulum swings the other way, right? So if you have a kid who's a victim of some sort of cyberbullying who then does the exact same thing back to the kid that did it. Now both kids are called in and expelled or suspended and have a you know a, a mark on their record when the one kid was just trying to stand up for her, him or herself. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Right. I don't have an extra point to that. It's just one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Robert. <laughs> Littlefoot just had a stroke. This is Robert. so horrible, Robert. <laughs> what, what do you do besides this? <laughs> I liked, your, I liked your point. I just thought there might be a little more to it. That's all. Oh, Mario, the best. Oh, what, what do you do? Come on, tell me. I work for uh, Westwood One Podcast Network, so I work with the other shows, and I'm, oh. I'm the suit that's not the suit. Really, you're the McMahon. You're Ed McMahon. Yeah, yes, there you go. He, uh, yeah, he helps me on the podcast from time to time, and uh, he's pretty much running the podcast network. He's, yeah, he's. How many people are doing? We have uh, 41 active shows right now. You're kidding. Mm -mm. You know that, Maury. Everyone has a podcast now. This is, this is but a tough 41? Business. That's on our network, yeah. Yeah. It, do, they, do they make as much money as, as on air or not? I can over, the, over the air? I can answer that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but wait a second. Yes, sir. I know you. I know you. Yeah. You stashed it. Don't yes, worry I did. About it. <laughs> yes, I did. That's why I'm having fun doing this. I have no worries, my friend. I mean, that's it. I told. Yeah. My father was. My father was the sports columnist oh, of the Washington Post for yeah. 75 years. And uh, he actually wrote his, he was, died at 92, writing his last column the day before he died. What was his so, last column? It was amazing. It was 1998. And Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were hitting all these home runs. Sure. So Tom Boswell, who's the great sports writer of the Post, was regaling McGuire as if better than Babe Ruth. And my father, who covered Babe Ruth, Got very upset. So he writes his column. He doesn't understand all these home runs that McGuire's hitting. He doesn't understand. And this is before the word came out, steroid. Don't believe anybody hits home runs and and, and says that he does it because he has nutrition shakes in the clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> so he knew then. He knew he something was, was suspect. off. Right. Suspect. And so he wrote that column in response to Boswell saying that McGuire was better than Ruth. Right. And my father was offended that Ruth was the greatest player ever and whatever. And so the next day he died quietly. He had had a heart, pro heart problems. And so uh, all through my young adult life, my father worried about he, – he would always tell people, Marius, I mean, he'll never have any money. It'll burn through his pockets. It'll be terrible. He'll never – he's always – whatever he has, he spends. It's terrible. He's got no, no idea about savings or anything else. So now my father's in his late 80s, and I want to show him that I'm okay. So I sent a plane to Washington to pick up my mother and father because they go to Maine. My father's from Maine. They still have their house in Maine. 
And so uh, they picked Connie and me up in Teterboro, and we're going on this big Gulfstream plane to Maine. And he looks at me, and he's got all his papers on a table and everything, and looks at me and he says, I'm not going to worry about you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And I'll tell you this. Yeah. For everybody, you got to let your parents know you've done good before sure. they die. Because if, if, I, if, that, if that scene had not occurred, I would have been very upset that he had never known right. that he didn't have to worry about me. That, that's why you're going to live to 110, because you're, gonna, <laughs> you're still worrying about your son. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm out there going, I mean, he's, he's, he says, he says uh, he, he's mad at Obama because Obama closed a lot of the fishing, uh, uh, fish, what, what they call the canyons, mm-hmm. out right. there in the Gulf Stream, and he's all pissed off about that, and he wants me to go to Trump. To have Trump reopen the canyons. <laughs> and I said, I don't think I'm going to go to Donald and ask him that. I haven't seen Donald in a long time. Well, uh, the, the point about Donald, though, uh, back in the day when you had all these. Sure. Uh, these sad, he was great. He, all these sad stories. Is it true that he would, like, donate money to help some of the yeah, people that did. were on your show? Yeah, he would. I mean, people say, you know, he doesn't give to charity in his foundation. I, I don't know anything about that, but I do know. All of a sudden, I have this woman, uh, this little girl on who has all this bone issue, uh, bone uh, uh, disease, and and unsolicited, he calls up and, and gives the woman uh, gives the little girl money. Wow! And you know, and I mean, I, first first of all, way uh, in the I knew Donald in the current affair days, and so because of you know he's on he's on our show as much as he's uh, on the cover of the New York Post and Daily News. So one time. We had this great reporter from Australia named Gordon Elliott. Gordon Elliott, Gordon Elliott has this idea. Gorbachev is coming to New York, to the United States. It must be 1989, 1990, somewhere in there. And he's coming to New York, and Trump somehow gets him to come by Trump Tower and have a meeting with him. And at the last minute, Gorbachev cancels. So Gordon Elliott has this great idea. We hire a Gorbachev lookalike, put him in a limo, <laughs> call up Trump and say at the last minute he's going to come by and you can see him and uh, he'll be in the limo and everything else. And Trump runs down from Trump Tower, comes out with a tie to give to Gorbachev, gets in the limo, and, and my Gorbachev is a perfect lookalike. The problem is Gordon has also hired two young ladies to sit next to Gorbachev. <laughs> he blew it. And Trump comes into the limo and Gordon turns to the camera and says, I think he got it. <laughs> you know, I've heard that story many times over the years. I didn't know you were, you know, you were responsible for that. Oh, one, yeah, so. that's us. Oh, that's that was good. a current affair. That's great. <laughs> well, what do you, uh, I didn't really want to go political, but you, you've known the man for a long time. Yeah. What do you think of Trump and what he's, uh, the job uh, he's doing? You know. See, I, doing radio, I used to love when he called the radio show. He entertained He would call all, up, right? All the time. Entertaining is all yeah, out. Uh, that, but we also knew that he really was into himself. I know. And we would kind of laugh at that, too. But, I mean, I, in a way, I, I don't pay much attention because uh, I think he's on steroids. Uh, but, you know, the Donald I knew was, I mean, first of all, I, I don't like to say anything bad about him because he thinks he goes, he is my best promoter 
as an amateur golfer. He thinks I'm a great amateur golfer. Yeah. And he tells everybody, you know, yeah. hey, he's great. This one's yeah. great. You yeah. know how he goes around yeah, yeah. tells everybody, you're great. I guarantee you. Oh, he you're told, the greatest. He told me I was the greatest. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, you hear that. So, how could you hate the guy? So that's, <laughs> so that's how I, he's tricky. This that's Trump. how I. That's how I want to remember Donald. Yeah, he did the same I mean, stuff to me. I know he does it to everybody, <laughs> and probably to Howard. Probably yeah, to Howard and you. Yeah. I mean. I mean, I he, he would do things like that. Right. He never got offended about a current affair. Right. The way we just splash, splashed him on on. Well, that's on the because show. you were mentioning his name. He, exactly. He understood that you know, pr- uh, good press is as as good as bad press. So I mean, that's how I, you know, that's how I played with him. I tell you one one story. I played with him in the AT and T one time, the Pebble Beach tournament, which by the way is this week or something. And and so. He's in the foursome in front of me, and we're playing Spyglass Hill, which is one of the courses. And on the 12th hole, he makes a hole-in-one. I'm a legitimate hole-in-one during the tournament. For real? For real. So he goes down there, and now they come. the, the cameras are around. They're interviewing him after he, he holes out, and, and there was a big backup. So I had come down to the hole, and I'm listening to this interview. And so they asked him, Donald, would you, what was the greatest part about it? He says, it wasn't necessarily that I made the hole-in-one. It was the fact that there were 25,000 people here. It was just spectacular. And I said, Donald, there aren't 25,000 people on the peninsula. He has <laughs> <laughs> problems with numbers. Let's be Math is not a strong suit. He has problems with his numbers. I don't but, but you accept that. I mean, yeah. he's just... That's the way he is. Yeah, of course. Maury, who's a friend of mine and a very good golfer. Don't ever play him in golf. He's very, very good. Believe me. Uh, The older I get, I just, I I don't, I don't believe in either side. I just, I just don't. I want to tell you, it's, it's, It's I, I, I I close down. I mean, you know, and they say, you know, I just, I just, uh, there's just so much crap going on. Right. And, you know. I don't I don't like most of what he does or says, but you know, I'm just I'm tired. I'm, yeah. I, I, I got fatigue. Well it's funny because uh I'm lucky enough to have a beach house and I do a lot of fishing. We talked about this the last yeah, time. Yeah, wh- where is where do you hey, have it? I'll tell you off there. <laughs> well, I mean is, no, it, is it New York? Is oh it, yeah, yeah. Out east I'm uh, out, out east. And uh you know I You know, my son comes into Montauk all the time. And Let's Shinnecock exchange numbers. Shinnecock. I want to go fishing with your son. Boy, I tell you, you you'd have fun. I'm going to podcast with him and get the other side. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, the, the big deal are the are the tournaments. That's where the real money is. Yeah, exactly. He won a big tournament last year. Oh, congratulations! So he uh, yeah, off of Block Island. Yeah, sure. Um, so anyway, I, I do a lot of fishing, and um, you know this political tribalism, and right. you go to your Facebook page, you have family members that you don't oh, yeah. even want to talk to anymore. Oh, like, yeah. how, well, you you believe this stuff? Right. Whatever. We all deal with that. Um, how about my golfer friends? I mean, I don't think there's a liberal among the bunch. Right. I mean, they're yeah. they're all Trump believers. So I think I'm safe. I'm at my beach house fishing for striped bass by right. myself. There's a, a a dear friend of mine. He's older than me by uh, by a lot, and. Uh, and I love fishing with this guy, and he comes marching down, and everything changed when Trump got elected, and now I can't even escape it. Oh, because he's, he's the talking. only person I see for days sometimes. <laughs> right. And I finally had to say, this is a no Trump zone. Please. <laughs> it's just me and you. I'm trying to get away from this. I know. That's my, my, uh, like my, my golf partners say, you know, you know, it's. 
it's not fun playing golf by ourselves because you're so far up there where we can't talk. I said, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. I don't want to talk about this thing. Right. I mean, don't tell me how great a job he's doing. Don't tell me how bad this one is. I don't want to hear it. I yeah. want to play golf. Absolutely. Speaking of which, are you still a two? Yeah, about a three. You're a three handicap at 80? Yeah, I don't think I played to it too much, but yeah, I, yeah, I'm again. I'll put it to you this way: if I shoot my age, I'm pissed. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but wow. there was a time. Oh yeah. I think you said once that you want to shoot your age before you turn seventy. I did, and you did it. Yeah, sixty-nine. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah. you might be. I mean, you're padding your handicap for some money rounds. No, no. No. He knows what I'm talking no, about. No, no, When someone no, tells you there are three, they're usually I don't, a scratch. We don't play for that much money. We we have this game that somehow they, it's like what they call a $10 or $20 closeout. Right. Which means you play until you lose, and then you can press for half. So if it's $20, the worst you can lose is 30 Right. I can handle that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> How far do you hit your drive still? You know, I just was... When I, I never had a lesson until I was 50. And my dear wife, at the age of 50, for my birthday, bought me. She says, I've researched it all. This is the best golf teacher in the country. He's going to come to our place in New Jersey and be with you for a weekend. I said, I've never had one. His name is Peter Costas. Yeah. So Peter Costas is my teacher for the last 30 years. Wow. So I just went out to Scottsdale because I belong to a great club called Whisper Rock, and he's a member there. And so I got on the TrackMan. You know what TrackMan are? These 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 analytics things where you can find out how far you hit it and how far you this. And so right now, I'd say my best drives. I'm landing at two thirty five, and maybe they roll out to two forty five fifty. That's still, it. Yeah, that's it. That's all you need. That's sometimes, all I have, though. And I'm playing it forward. You know, right. I like I'll play 6,400, 6,500 max courses. Right. I don't want to play any more than that because I don't want to be hitting, you know, rescue clubs and, and woods to greens. Yeah, yeah. So, 430 yard greens. I, I, I can't that's do insane. that. So, let me, so what was your handicap before the lessons at 50? Probably six, five or six. Oh, my God. But so I you were really good. Yeah, I got down. I, I After about. What, I, did, what and, did he teach you? If, well, you're, if you're a five or a six. Well, that was all athleticism. Okay. So, that you know, I was a high school athlete, you know, right. hand-eye coordination. That's why all these athletes are good golfers. So uh, what happened was at 50, then I, then I, he says, you can be competitive. I said, what do you mean competitive? He says, well, no, you can, you can go, you, you can go play in national events. I said, no, oh yeah, you can. So then by the time I was 55, I had gotten down to maybe a two or a one. And at 60, I qualified for the United States Senior Amateur. That's amazing. And I made match play. Right. And that got me into three British Senior Amateurs. So that was my highlight. That was my, that was the, that was the that, top of it was around 60. That's pretty cool. What do you, what do you think? You think Tiger's going to yeah, win another major? I'm a, big, I'm a big fan. So am I. Are you kidding me? Huge fan. Especially after everything he's been through. Now yeah. I really... I, I, I think he's doing fine. Now I talked to Peter about it. He says his swing is solid. Right. He says, actually, believe it or not, he has a better swing because of his back problems than he had before. A hundred percent. You know, I, I grew up as a caddy, so I, I know this sport pretty well. I, I didn't become a good golfer. My brother was pretty good. I shot low 80s. <laughs> if, I, if I break 90 nowadays, That's good. I'm, I'm really happy. But I saw him at Shinnecock, and I was on the tee. 
and I've told this story many times, Tiger was really young back then, how he swung at that ball. I'm like, there's no, th- this guy's going to have problems eventually. Right. His body's not going to be able to keep up with the, you know, the force of, of his uh, club speed. So that year was probably 96. Around there, yeah. Okay. That was the first time I ever played with him because on the Monday of that tournament, somehow I got paired with him at the National, which is the next door to Shinnecock. Great course. And me and Tiger and Earl, his father, and Terry McBride, who was the club champion at National, we played. He came to National, never been there. National is one of these, you take the best holes of Scotland and you put it in one thing. And there are all these blind shots. He hits a driver off the first hole into the greenside bunker. He makes birdie. He's five under after nine, never bringing his driver out again the whole round. And I said to myself, and he never played the course before. Never. And there were all those blind shots. Yeah, yeah. I've heard about that place. Yeah. Was his father th- that good? Pretty good. He wasn't bad. He was a mid eighties or low eighties right. uh, golfer. Because he was Tiger's first teacher, as we all know. Yeah, I mean he. Yeah, Earl was. But I could tell back then, he was Tiger was quiet in Earl's company, very quiet, yeah. very, uh, very. Uh, how should I say? Uh, he didn't want to disrupt his father at all. Wow! So they didn't, very dutiful. They didn't have a father-son relationship. No, it part. was it was. His father knew he had something. Oh, my gosh. Because we all saw that, that old video. Was yeah, it the when, Michael Douglas show? When he's two years old. Two or three years old, and he had a perfect <laughs> swing already. But unbelievable. But I think he's going to do fine. I mean, I, I hope so. I think I, that, I'm a big fan. Uh, I've, I, uh, I'll tell you, I, in, 2000, in 2000 or 2001, when he held all four majors, right. but they were – around the year it wasn't all in one year but he had four yes and so he's playing in the disney tournament that fall and i go up to him because i'm in the pro uh pro-am or whatever and i said tiger maury but oh maury how are you fine he says maury i'm going there to congratulate him on on all these majors and he said maury i heard about the u.s senior amateur isn't that great for you well, are you kidding me? <laughs> wow. Are you kidding me? I make one amateur tournament and you, and you're holding four majors and you're coming up and thanking, you know, excited for me. That's pretty cool, though. <laughs> That's all right. Because of that, no matter what happened to Tiger after that, yeah. I said, I don't give a shit. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. I mean, this guy, anytime he thanks me, for, yeah, congratulates me for being in a That's in all an amateur tournament. Yeah. <laughs> one compliment, you're golden. I'm easy. I'm easy. Hey, I got to go back. I, we're, we're wrapping up, but uh, yeah. your dad, uh, sports columnist right. for 75 years. What did he say about Ruth? Ruth to him was the greatest You said player. that, but right. the, yeah. And he, and he said, uh, because he, my, even my father remembers this. He was a great pitcher before he was a right. great hitter. Nobody in the history of baseball could put up those numbers both ways. Yeah. And so that's why he was the greatest. However, he said, I must say, he says, the most exciting baseball player I ever saw, Willie Mays. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I loved Willie he Mays. He says he was the most exciting because sure. of what he did in the outfield and how he ran bases. Right. And, 
So your dad's take on Mark McGuire was really good. So oh you got gosh. you got Babe Ruth, who was so much better than everybody else. I, I think he had more homers than the entire teams of a few of those. Oh years. my gosh! So did your dad ever have a take on why he was so much better than every other uh, Major League Baseball p- player during no, that but era? There was a woman named There's a woman named Jane Levy who just wrote a book on Babe Ruth called the the Big Fella because that's how they yeah. remembered. It was just one of his nicknames. And he said, she said that the best, uh, the best description of Babe Ruth at the plate was your father's description. And his description was, he had these feet, these like pigeon feet, and he he had very small steps. He was this very big guy, but he his steps were very small and very quick. And for a big guy like that, you went, wow, it's like. In the bottom of his body, he was dainty. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. This big barrel chested guy with all this weight. And is it true you went to the 1958 uh, championship game in football? Yeah, with Bob Wolf. Yeah, Bob Wolf, a great broadcaster here in New York, did all the Madison Square Garden events. Oh, yeah. I had the greatest job from the ages of 16 to 22 or 3 when I got out of college. I was his assistant on all the Washington then Washington Senator broadcasts and any other thing that Bob did. I I mean, I was I used to I used to, you know, go for coffee. I was a gopher for this, a gopher for that. My father used to say, "Well, well, do you have a title son?" I said, "Oh yeah, I'm an associate producer." I said, you got big shot itis. You're in the right business. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Bob at one time uh, did the Baltimore Colts radio network in 1958. Uh, I guess yeah, 58. And I came up. I was going to the University of Pennsylvania, and I came up during the Christmas holidays to do the the great. Who knew it was going to be the game? You know, right. the first overtime game kind of put the NFL on the map. Yeah. Uh, had more viewers than anything on television, and I was there in Yankee Stadium freezing my ass off. Wow. Did you ever think it would turn into what it is today? No. At the Super Bowl? No. But I was always a big Redskin, I mean, a a football fan back then. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I was... Why didn't you go into sports? I I, I did. No, I mean, sorry, I do know that, but there was a time where... You uh, moved out of sports and went into hard news. Right? Uh, was your dad this supportive, is, or he didn't want you to fall in his? This uh, is what happened. I, yeah. I I'm doing sports in Washington. George Allen was the coach sure. of the Washington Redskins. I'm covering him, and one day in the locker room, and the press is asking questions, and I and this is in the seven early seventies, and I see, and this is back. This is big drug time, all through sports, and you know. Everything's going on, marijuana, cocaine, everything. And there's this bottle of pills. I mean, who knows? They were salt pills. So I'm, I'm saying, Coach, uh, what, what's in that bottle? And he looked at me and he said, Maury, are you with us or against us? And I said, i got to get out of sports. <laughs> wow. Because you wouldn't have been able to hold that. I, mean, I can't. I can't. I mean, if they don't think that – if they if they think I can't cover it honestly and fairly, yeah. what the hell am I doing? Uh, yeah, right? of course. Well, I mean, on. back then, and by the way, I've talked that to, I've uh, told that story to a lot of sports writers today yeah. and sportscasters. He says it hasn't changed. Yeah, coaches, owners, 
if you're not with them, they're not gonna they're not gonna give you anything. Yeah, of course. And I said, what the hell is that? It's a game everyone's playing. Uh, speaking of which, I do have to say this because uh, back to McGuire again with the with the steroids and stuff. I hate that the players that were playing during that era right. all looked the other way, like, oh, we didn't know. Right. Oh, Everyone yeah. knew. Everyone knew. Spe- who would know better than a player? Right. And most of them were doing it. Who, right. who were I the goody two shoes that weren't doing it when their whole careers relied on their stats and and whatnot? I mean, I, I bet you the amount of people that actually weren't doing it is a very small number. And but, but for them to look the other way, like, oh, yeah, we don't know what's going on. You, think, the you think they should be in the hall? Yes. Because everyone knew. It was just a steroid era. Of course they should. Right? I think, well, first of all, I think a lot of them had enough to be in before they were using. Right. I mean, Bonds, Mm -hmm. I mean, you take a look at his stats at at Pittsburgh and and early in San Francisco. Yeah. On those stats alone, he should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that head got a lot bigger with that steroid. <laughs> you could tell, scary couldn't you? <laughs> when you see the side by side picture. Right. But a lot of the sports writers that are the goody two shoe guys, I'm using that term a lot today for some reason. Uh, they they knew as they were voting against these guys because because right. the steroid thing came out. They they knew way before uh, they were voting for these guys. But anyway, uh, really fast. How's Connie doing? You guys. Been married She's a great. long time. Thirty-five huh? years. 30 oh, yeah, uh-huh. You better get that oh, right, Maury. <laughs> this year, thirty-five. Wow, that's awesome. When I yeah, you know, when I got married, I mean, she was the. I mean, when I got married, I'm I'm anchoring uh, the newscast, uh, the ten o'clock news in Washington on Channel Five, which is like in New York, and, and it's the Fox station and stuff like that. So we would commute, and she had uh, a nice apartment here. And right. we uh, f- first two years we were married. Uh, I would commute every weekend to come up to New York, and she would come to Washington sometimes. So I come up to New York one time, and I, uh, the doorman says, uh, I, I said, uh, I'm Connie Chung's husband. Fine. Can I come up? Can I get in? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And I, hear the guy, I, hear, I hear the guy on the phone calling the, calling the apartment saying, Ms. Chung, Mr. Chung is downstairs. I said, that's, that's the way I'm going to be. That's going to be your that's life. that's the way it is. All these years later. <laughs> is she happy not being in the spotlight as much yeah. these days? Yeah, That's I think awesome. so. Yeah, I good think for so. you. And is she, it true Letterman was uh, smitten with her? Oh, my God. It was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> he, no. he would, he, first of all, he On was, TV, he, he was would openly. So, he was so in love with her. Yeah. He would admit it. But, and then he would call me every name in the book except my own name. He yeah. called me Murray, Morty, Marty. He would call me all these names other than my real name. Yeah. And 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 he thought it was he thought it was part of the and I went, You son of a bitch. You <laughs> you knew me. You know me. Right. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. But uh he loved Connie. He oh, loved yeah, Connie. Yeah. And then when Connie went to CBS later on, and he went to CBS, and he wanted to do, she wanted to do a big interview with him, he wouldn't do it. <laughs> when she saved him, because she would come down at NBC when he was doing the Late Show, she would come down every single time a guest never showed up. Yeah. And she would be the replacement. Yeah, she was the go-to. Yeah. Yeah, and she did a great job. They had great chemistry. I yeah. I just always wondered if it ever got past the, the fun and game stage. No. Uh, for you, I mean, no. where you were starting to get a little pissed off by the whole he's a piece thing. Of shit. Look, love <laughs> Well, he'd always make fun of Maury and uh, always rib about Maury. 
there was this rat-a-tat between the two of us that seemed to work. I want to tell you something. All right? Yes, please. He's retired. I'm not. And I you don't win. and I don't look like that. Yes. <laughs> wow. You win more. Why why would he ever grow that beard? I guess I mean you have a beard, but it's okay. I I, I mean that's a nice stuff. I started growing the Letterman beard uh, a few years back and then realized what am I doing? He right. still hasn't got to that stage where he looks in the mirror and goes, What am I doing? I mean, he's older than Moses. Yeah. He just uh, he's a weird I'll tell you how weird. I'll I'll tell you how weird he is. I got a few stories too. More. Jack Hanna, the animal guy, was on his show for twenty-five years, whatever. Yeah, thirty years. And so Jack lives in Montana, and we have a home in Montana. And Jack's my neighbor, and everything. He says, "I want to tell you a story." I said, "Yeah." He said, "I get this. I get this person telling me to go see uh, Letterman in his office." And I've never, he's never off the show, ever asked me a question, never said a word to me. And now I got to go to his office and he goes up to the office and Letterman has this map out. And so uh, he says, Jack, you live in Montana, don't you? He says, yeah. He says, well, I'm thinking about getting a place there right here. And Jack says, you don't want to do that, David. I mean, that's in the wrong part of the state. There's... There's all kinds of wind and all kinds of bad weather. It's it's really terrible. And David says, "Perfect. That's exactly where I'm going." <laughs> that's that's so you have stories too. Uh, huh? Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna up your Letterman you know, story. Though. Uh, so, uh, Maury, 21. Uh, well, you're into the 21st season. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, I got one more to go after this, maybe, and maybe who knows after that. You don't want to step down, though. I don't think so, but I don't know. It's all, you know, NBC, they're... Yeah. i tell you the greatest thing about, you know this, yeah. about being uh, successful in terms of ratings. Yeah. They don't know your name. They don't call. They don't do anything. You wouldn't... I mean, I haven't heard from the suits at NBC in years. <laughs> right. <laughs> they just let you be. I know. That's the best part. It, that was and the- if you're not... They're on your butt every single moment. Right. Let me. I want you to change this. I want you to change that. Right. I want you to do this. That was so freeing when I got to that stage where I, I just didn't deal with the suits anymore. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, and you know. Well, what, what are we uh, doing for the twenty first season? Anything special? You got your uh, lie detector what? test and the paternity the f- thing, and nothing broke, kid. Huh? <laughs> Nothing's broke. Stay the Nothing. course. <laughs> Smart. Don't fix it. Nope. Nothing to fix. Don't tinker with do, it. Do you still do the truth truck? Yeah, we got a truth truck that goes in around all I, these cities. They're lining up to take they lie, are detector, lining up. lie detector tests. <laughs> <laughs> I send Ralph Barbieri, our, our lie detector administrator. He's on the truck. He does all this stuff. It's right. perfect. Right. Oh, man. You must have loved the sideshows when you were growing up. God almighty. All right, How did Marty. you know? I loved them, too. Are you you know that most of the uh, sideshow performers you, with the PC culture you used to get really, really mad because they're like, this is how we make our living. We Ab- can't get real jobs. And, I know. And this paid well, and we got to see the country, and, right. and we had uh, people just like us that we could hang out with socially right they at first they got really mad with the pc culture shutting all that down really yes look it up and first they, of all isn't this going a little too far what do you mean are, and, all the pc and, culture oh my god it's exhausting it's i heard something oh uh, what did i hear on air oh 
it was oh it was during the golf tournament yesterday okay yeah so on the 18th hole they have these church pew uh, sand bunkers with this huge grass in yeah. between so ricky fowler hits it into the church pew into this high grass and paul azinger says my god that's taller than the top of don king's head <laughs> and i'm saying to myself I wonder if he's going to get caught. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how bad it is. It's getting, I can't keep up anymore. I, I heard that you can't say Irish twins anymore. You're kidding. I don't know. And, and you can't say Eskimo. That's supposedly bad. You, uh, don't say gypped. Gypped? Yeah, the gypsies. Oh, not wow. happy with the word gypped, oh. and, and the uh, the Irish twins. Because I guess what what does that mean? That Irish people love to have sex, unprotected sex. I guess. I, I, I why? I, 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 I don't know. Yeah. But I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish up I'm strong, Maury. I'm glad my show's taped. <laughs> oh, really? Well, you know, Do they come to you sometimes and go? Oh, this, it's more swearing than anything else. Right, right, yeah. Maury, this know, was F-bombs and everything. This was a, an absolute pleasure. Uh, it's good to see you all. It's been a couple of years, man. Yeah. Congratulations. Well, I'm glad you're doing what you want. Uh, absolutely. I, yeah, I love doing this. So. And if the paycheck's not that big, so what? We're getting there, right, Robert? We're getting there. We're getting sales on Any it. Any final uh, questions for Maury? You did a <laughs> shit. <laughs> no, you didn't do you guys shit. Did you get to all your notes? He's got it. Well, I think we wrapped. I think we got it good. All right, yeah. Good. All good right. to see you guys. You too, sir. Nice to see you. The As legend, always. Maury Povich. Oh, Thank you. Good Thank you, Maury. Uh, Joey, wrap it up. Hey, Greg, guess what? You are the fuck. Oh, I forgot the you're, you are the father. That's what you're going to be known for. Of course. We didn't even bring that up. Bring it up. Well, that's all it is. Well, no, here's the deal about that. Let me tell you the best part about it. Yeah. A guy named Aaron Dill, who runs the Vokey Wedge Truck for Titleist on the tour, calls me up one day and says, I'm going to send you a unique wedge. Nobody in the world will ever have this wedge. In fact, two. So he sends me wedges that I've always used, and I've always used Titleist, and one wedge says, you are the father, and one wedge says, you are not the father. <laughs> That's awesome. So then, so then one caddy at a tournament uh, up in um, Old Sandwich, which is a great club I belong to in Massachusetts, uh, there's a member guest or something like this, a caddy puts me, my bag tag, circles the two wedges, Sends it to Barstool, three million views. Wow. And I went, shit. <laughs> I can't get three million views. No but two of my golf clubs. <laughs> oh, that, that just hurt my heart. All right, now we can go. Maury, thank you so much. Thank Maury you. Povich, everyone. Okay. Joey, finally, wrap it up. Oh, that was great. That was great, Mike Sappho. And it's good to know Bobby Littlefoot has something in common with the great Babe Ruth. He's dainty on the bottom. Wait a second. Maury's got my paternity test. Jay, you are not. Thank you, Maury Povich. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. Visit opradio.com. Share this episode with a friend. And once again, I'm Joey Salvia from the Westwood One Podcast Network, thanking you for subscribing to OP Radio.
from the Westwood One Podcast Network.